<laughs> We're live. Okay. Hare Krishna. Uh, my name is Krishna Devadas. I'm Bhakti Yoga Kulsa, the, the organizer, and we have our special uh, guest, uh, Hridayananda Daskoswami. Um, Maharaj, where are you? Uh, look, are you, are you in California right now? I am in California, yes. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. So um, we're all we're all in Tulsa except for Emily uh, uh, Mataji. She's in New York City. So uh, for those that do not know, Hridayananda uh, Daskoswami, um, he is a disciple of Shri Prabhupada. He was introduced to Krishna consciousness back in 1969, and and uh, he became initiated in 1970. And make sure I get all these dates right. <laughs> and Maharaj has, uh, has his, uh, his doctorate in uh, Sanskrit study, as well as uh, Indian uh, uh, study, I, I do believe. And outside of being a Sanskrit scholar, Maharaj is also a linguist, uh, um, has seven languages under his belt. And I'm pretty sure there's more languages that you're probably going <laughs> to, you already know in next. Um, but we just want to thank you so much for spending your time and your, your energy here. Um, and we're, we just started last week, um, the, hopefully everybody can see this, the comprehensive guide to the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which Maharaj just uh, recently uh, uh, published. And I must say that this is one of the best um, study, study guides I could I could ever imagine. And so we are starting on second <laughs> and we're, we're starting on, on chapter three, uh, the, the modes of material nature. And uh, if I can, um, if there's anything that you want me to add, please let me know. But besides that, I will give you the, the floor and the room to uh, to share. Um, your knowledge. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me, and uh, it's nice to see all of you, and I guess we're ready for takeoff. So, um, I was asked to go over Chapter 3 of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which has a few main topics. It really, the first, maybe two-thirds of the Gita, of the chapter talks a lot about what is called karma and uh, translates action. The word karma in Sanskrit has become well known around the world in the sense of the laws of karma or the system of karma where whatever you do, good or bad, comes back to you. And these reactions ultimately take shape as another body, rein, reincarnation. And so karma really, in that sense, posits a, a universal moral law so that everything we do, we receive an equal, a, an equitable, appropriate response for it. And not only the law of karma states that not only do we get punishments and rewards according to the moral quality of our actions, but also there's a type of neutral reaction where, for example, let's say someone 
really likes to play music. And so they dedicate themselves. So in their next life, they may be quote unquote, a born musician. In fact, Prabhupada even made some remark that the Beatles, whom he had association with in their past life, they had you know, performed some kinds of piety. And so anyway, that's all karma. But that's not what Krishna means here. Krishna's talking about something else. The, the word karma comes from a Sanskrit root, kur, which just means to do. And so karma in this sense simply means action. And not necessarily material action. For example, in chapter four, Krishna says, Janma karma cha medivyam evam joveti tatata. Anyone who truly understands my birth and action, karma. So karma can be a completely neutral, can have a completely neutral sense, just action, any action, your action, God's action, material action, spiritual action. And, and that's, um, but it has another sense. These are all ways in which the word karma is used. Another sense in which it's used, which probably gets closest to what Krishna is doing in chapter three here. The word karma also means, in a sense, your duty or your vocation, your career, like what you do in life. It's like, I mean, even in English, we could say to somebody, yeah, what do you do? And the person could say, well, I'm breathing right now and I'm, uh, you know, about to have lunch. But that's not what we mean when we say, what do you do? We mean, what's your career? And karma kind of has that sense also. So let's get into it. Um, and of course, the reason this whole topic comes up at all is that Arjun is persisting with his excuses why he should leave the battlefield. And so Arjun begins this chapter. And so therefore, Krishna has to explain the nature of action, spiritual action, material action, good and bad, because Arjun is specifically tripping on that point. He thinks he should leave the battlefield. He doesn't. So Krishna, so Arjuna begins this chapter by saying, I'm going to give you very, very literal translation here. So Arjuna says, Oh, Janardana, uh, Budhir, which means intelligence or in other words, rather than going out in the world and fighting or making money, you just kind of, you know, it's the life of the mind. <laughs> so, so Krishna here tells Arjuna, I mean, Arjuna says, Janardana, Krishna, uh, you have considered or you have said that you consider buddhi, this higher intelligence, uh, to be better. Jayasi just means better than karma. And of course, Arjun here is referring in the relevant sense to his karma, his duty, which is to get into this battle and kill a lot of bad guys who happen to be related to him. So Arjun is saying that, well, Krishna, you know, I'm not really going to go out there and fight and kill all those people because you said that booty's better. So I think I'll just going to get into my booty. I'm just going to get into my, you know, my higher consciousness and, and all that. And so, so Arjuna says, he thinks he's sort of caught Krishna in, in, a, in a, uh, a contradiction, like you're contradicting yourself. 
So he says, you said, you consider Krishna that Buddhi is better than karma. So therefore, king, why? Karmani gore Okay, why are you engaging me in a horrible karma? If in general, higher consciousness is better than karma, why then are you engaging me in terrible karma? Not only karma, it's not even like so-so karma. You're actually engaging me in this really awful karma. And then our and then Arjuna says, uh, by this sort of literally mixed up instruction. I mean, and that's really what Arjuna is saying. Uh, Mishra means mixed. So by this, and Vyami, it really means like, if you know Sanskrit, it really sounds like by this totally mixed up instruction. You are bewildering my booty. So he's saying, hey, Krishna, you said booty is better than karma, but you're engaging me in the worst possible karma and you're confusing my booty. So in other words, there's something seriously wrong with this picture. So then, so then Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, then the Lord said, uh, Krishna says, uh, I already told you, Pura Prokta, Pura means before, already, Prokta was explained by me. I already told you, Arjuna, uh, that Loke Smin in this world, and by the word, the way, by the way, the word loka, we still have in English uh, that word loka by way of Latin. So the word, for example, locus, like the position of something, the locus or uh, location, that's Sanskrit loka. I sometimes say that in ancient Vedic culture, real estate agents said, ancient Vedic real estate agents said the most important things are loka, loka, loka. <laughs> that's actually where we get the English word location anyway so Krishna says I already told you Arjuna that in this world there are two kinds of nishta and that's an interesting word nishta can mean status standing or position or it can mean like like a uh, a process that you're engaged in and of course, Krishna is referring to verse 239, where Krishna said uh, to Arjuna that, um, that what I've explained to you, actually, I'll get 239. I've got a real, I can just turn to it. He said, Esha te bita sanke. So, chapter two of the Bhagavad Gita is titled, Prabhupada gave the title, which he probably was translating from some traditional title given to it. Uh, contents of the Gita summarized. So it's a very long chapter. I think it has 72 verses. So sort of in the middle, right sort of in the middle of the chapter, Krishna says, and this is right after Krishna has explained how you're not your body. The soul is eternal. The body is temporary. Eternal things never stop existing. Temporary things never go on existing. And the soul cannot be killed and so on. So after really hammering home this simple ontology, there are eternal things and there are temporary things. So after Krishna explains that, he says, okay, what I just explained to you is buddhi, higher understanding, but sankhye, 
in a in a philosophical sense. And then he says, now hear about Bodhi, higher consciousness in practice. And the word in practice here is yoga in yoga, which here means practice. And then Krishna says, so that when you really are connected, literally, when you're really connected to this higher understanding, this spiritual reason, rationality, karma bandhang prahasisi, you will simply give up your karma bondage. So that's 239. And that's what Krishna's referring to when he says here at the beginning of chapter three that I already explained to you that the spiritual path is twofold. Jnana yogena sankhyanam. For philosophers, for people who are philosophical, there's jnana yoga, where you connect yourself to God by cultivating knowledge, and then karma yogena yogina. And yogi here doesn't mean someone with, you know, with super Vedic dreads, you know, meditating on a mountaintop. Uh, yogi here means uh, someone who is active in the world, someone who's acting, not just, so it's almost like the opposite of what you may think it means here. So, so Krishna's, again, in, in chapter two, he described it as... Um, as buddhi, here he calls it jnana yoga. So he's making this sort of implicit linking equation that when I say buddhi or higher intelligence, spiritual reason, I'm talking about the spiritual practice of knowledge, of understanding. And so there's the philosopher's path, there's the active person's path. People are out and about in the world. And so Krishna's kind of, okay, let's do this again, Arjun. I already explained it to you. You missed it. You didn't get it. So let's do it again. And then Krishna says, It's not that by not undertaking actions in the world, that you achieve nice karma. Krishna is sort of playing on words here. So if you understand Sanskrit, you see what he's doing. Because the word niche karma, niche means without. It, it's a Sanskrit prefix, which can also sometimes written as near, N-I-R, like nirvana, which means without vana. And so niche karma means karmaless, like a karmaless state in the sense of having reactions. So Krishna's kind of playing with these different meanings of the word karma. So he says, Purusha a person does not achieve the liberated state of nice karma, the state beyond karma. A person does not achieve that liberated state simply by not undertaking actions. In other words, you don't become free of work in this world by not working. So it's uh, so what Krishna is doing here, he's exposing Arjun's, you could say, somewhat simplistic argument. And so Krishna is saying, you can't become free of karma just by not doing karma. And he's going to explain why that's true. And, and he says also, eva. And you cannot sitting samadhi gachati, and you cannot achieve full perfection simply by sannyasa, by renouncing. That's kind of discouraging for me because I thought I could just 
takes it and in addition to getting free lunch for the rest of my life i could um anyway so krishna is saying that in other words the essence of what krishna is saying here is that you can't really achieve perfection you can't achieve liberation just by not doing things it's not just you take away certain things and then you're perfect no you have to do things in the world and then Krishna explains why that's true. In verse 3.5, he says, Nahikas chit shanamapi. No one, even for a moment, jatu tishtatiya karmakrit can ever remain uh, without doing something. Why? Why can't you, even for a moment, no one, even for a moment, can ever go on a karma crit, not doing some action. Why? Because karyate hiyavashak karma, sarva prakriti jayar gunai. Because everyone, sarva, karyate is forced to do something. Everyone is forced to do something Prakriti Jayagunai, by the modes, you know, those pesky modes of nature, by the gunas which are born of Prakriti. Now, what does that mean? Uh, for example, I mean, vows such as, I'm going to eat very little from now on, as we know, are made to be broken. And usually such vows last, maybe if they last an entire meal cycle that's really unusual <laughs> so for example let's say that um you know you just vowed you're not going to eat sweets and then you go somewhere and they're serving some vegan version of lemon meringue pie and game over <laughs> but what is that? You know, what is a nice vegan lemon meringue? Oh my God, I'm going to get myself distracted here. I mean, what is that really? It's actually, um, it's the modes of nature, the flavors, the particular flavor you like, or, you know, whatever you like, something you really like. It's just, it's just a particular guna. Or you meet someone, you know, someone sometimes makes a vow like, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life, and they meet someone. And, uh, you know, their vow flies away. So, so what does it mean? Because when you meet different people, they are also in different modes of nature. Like, I like this person's personality, or this person is cute, or, you know, God knows what that means. So all these things, like you, meet, <laughs> you know, one person's cute is another person's hideous. So, um, so when you become attracted to a person, to a food, when you think, oh, I'd really like to live in this place, or just, and not only likes and dislikes, but like, I have to do something. Like, I really want to go there today. I have to get out of the city, or I have to go to the city, or I have to earn some money, or I've got to start working less, or I've got to save more money, or, you know, anything. Just anything that you feel, I have to do this. Like my child is crying, I've got to feed my child. Or 
It's just like anything that you feel you have to do uh, means that means that the modes are pushing you. And the modes are pushing you through your body because the gunas are material and they impact your body so that, and meanwhile, it bubbles up to your mind, for those who have minds, it bubbles up to your mind and uh, and you think, I have to do this. So whenever you think, I have to do this, or I want to do this, or I need to do this, whatever it may be, uh, usually we're being pushed by the modes of nature. Now, if you say, I want to serve Krishna, I want to serve Krishna, that's a spiritual desire. But even then, how are you going to serve Krishna? For example, theoretically, one could serve Krishna by doing a ballet on a high wire in a, in, in a circus, which is, uh, I plan to do actually starting next year. I'm kind of booked for this year. Just kidding. But let's say, so let's say you want to do something. Let's say you want to do something for Krishna. So even then, what you want to do is because of your nature. I mean, there are certain things we can all do and certain things we can't do. So even when we are choosing, of course, when you're a new devotee, they just say, you know, wash these pots or do this or do that. You just become a Vedic gopher. But um, but once you, you know, get out of your Vedic gopher stage and you actually have to, you actually have to choose, you know, what you want to do in life for Krishna, then you're going to choose something which is according to your nature. And that nature is formed by the modes of nature. So you, we have to do things, even if we're doing it for Krishna or if we're doing it, you know, not for Krishna, which is not a great idea, but still the mode. So therefore you can't just do nothing because as we know, even if you say, okay, I'm just going to sit here, I'm not going to do anything, but that requires, that's a great effort because it's unnatural just to sit down and not get up again. That's actually unnatural. And therefore just to sit somewhere is a great effort which means you are doing something. So at every moment, we're doing something. That's what Krishna says. So the idea that a philosophical path means that I won't do things, Krishna is saying that's absurd. Because even if you're on a philosophical path, whatever your path is, you are active by nature. So then Krishna says what you really ought to do, karmendriyani sanyamya, really controlling the active senses. In Sanskrit, uh, they have five, what they call uh, knowledge senses, the ganendrias, which are your eyes, ears, nostrils, tongue, and touch. See that? At my age, I still remember them. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I hope I don't get to the point where lists of five you know, become challenges to me. Anyway, <laughs> so those, those are the... Those are the gyanendriyas. Those are the knowledge senses. Then there are the uh, karmendriyas, the action senses, which are taken in, in, in this system to be the hands, you know, the arms and hands, the legs, uh, voice, the reproductive organ, and the uh, organ behind. So those are, which has various euphemisms. 
So, um, so those are the so Krishna here is talking about um, the karmendrias, your senses. So controlling your act, controlling your speech, controlling your what you actually do physically with your hands and legs and all that. Obviously, controlling sex and all that. So one who, uh, so if a person just controls their external body, but they go on remembering, they go on remembering with the mind, indriyartan, the sense objects. In other words, beautiful, you know, things that your eyes like to see or things you want to touch or uh, sex desire or so one who restrains the senses, but goes on remembering the sense objects, dreaming about the sense objects. Krishna says, Vimudhatma is really a confused soul. And Krishna calls that person Mithyachara, a person whose behavior is false because the person appears to be renounced, but actually they're, you know, they're dreaming of, uh, I guess, genie with the light brown hair or something. You know, they're dreaming of all kinds of sense gratification. So that person, Krishna says, so that's hypocrisy. So Arjun, so Krishna tells Arjun, you have to act in this world. So if you just try to be inactive, but you're really thinking about these things, then it's just hypocrisy. So why even go there? And then Krishna says, this is what you should do. Yes, to Indriyani Manasan, Niyam So if you restrain your senses with the mind, and then you begin karmendriyai with your action senses, you begin karma yoga, asakta, without being attached, savishishate, that is better. In other words, you have to work. You have to be active in this world. And therefore, uh, it's better to perform karma or action as karma yoga. In other words, whatever you have to do because it's your nature, do it for Krishna. Do it for Krishna. And then you are a, an honest person because you're doing the things that you want to do, but you're doing them for Krishna. So it's not just karma, it's karma yoga. And then Krishna says, Niyatang uh, Kuru Karma Twang, which means you, Arjuna, perform your prescribed duty, literally. Karma Jaihyo Hyakarmanaha. Karma, action or duty, is better than inaction. Sharira Jatra Pichate Neprasidhyeda Karmana. Because even bodily maintenance, just keeping body and soul together, as it said, literally it says here, cannot be accomplished. Naprasidyate means cannot be accomplished. A karmana or a person who just doesn't do anything. So uh, that is the first section of the chapter. We didn't do the whole chapter because that would take long. So I, I may actually stop here and see if there are any questions, because rather than race through the whole chapter, uh, I thought it'd be good to really um, 
to be a little more thorough and see what Krishna is really saying in the first part of the chapter. Then let's see, someone sent me a note here. Let's see, page 15, the modes bind us to this world. Goodness fosters worldly joy and wisdom, but good person, the good person clings to these and cannot transcend temporary goodness to reach eternal life. How does one learn to identify and transcend attachment to temporary goodness? So first we'll talk about that, and then there's a follow-up question. You know, it's uh, it's Sunday. It's two-for-one day. We, we have our Sunday special all day today. <laughs> so, um, yes, we... Cannot simply get tied up in material goodness because in material goodness you are a good person, but uh, not necessarily a spiritual person. You may be very nice and do your duty and help other people and all that's great, but you may not actually be strongly connecting to God, and so. Um, and that's a problem because actually everything is coming from Krishna. So there's the ingratitude problem. Uh, we are receiving everything from Krishna. We are part of Krishna. So if we don't recognize God, we can't really understand ourselves for the simple reason that we're part of Krishna. So if you say, I'm an American, and someone says, well, what is America? You know, I don't really know. I just know that I'm an American. Obviously, that's silly. So we're part of Krishna. Unless we know what Krishna is, we can't know what we are. So uh, therefore, Krishna recommends or, or you could say just describes the mode of goodness as the highest mode, of course. But the understanding is that that's not the spiritual platform. If you take that goodness and then live for Krishna. If you live a life of goodness, but you live for God, then it's spiritual. And it becomes shuddha sattva, purified goodness, because goodness by itself is material quality. It's when you actually offer that life of goodness to Krishna that it becomes shuddha, becomes purified, and it becomes purely spiritual goodness. So now let's see, the second part was follow-up. If the answer is simply to break attachment to the fruits of action, wouldn't attachment to the fruits of action be considered in the mode of passion? Uh, yes, Krishna says, Krishna describes actually in the Bhagavad Gita uh, the problem with material goodness. See if I can find that verse. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Prakashakam Why is Google failing me? <laughs> I think Google just left the Hare Krishna movement. Okay, I found it. <laughs> um, it's actually 
It's actually verse 14.6, and I'll read it to you, and uh, it explains exactly what this question is getting at. So 14.6, Krishna says, Tatra, therein, meaning he's talking about the modes of nature. Satam, nirmalatwat, precisely because of its uh, purity. Because there is a purity in, in material goodness, I mean, relative purity. Prakashatam, it's enlightening. The mode of goodness is enlightening. You can understand a lot of things in the mode of goodness. You can't understand the other modes. And uh, anamayam. And it is relatively free. It's free of gross contamination. But, therefore... Sukha, here's the here's the problem though. Sukha sangena badnati. It binds us by attachment to the happiness that it produces. Goodness, and so you find. I mean, you know, the world is full of people who are very proud of their goodness or their virtue, and um, and look down on other people. So sukha sangena, it, it, the mode of goodness binds us by attachment to that happiness, and jnana sangena, and it binds us by attachment to the wisdom that comes with goodness. So now clearly that uh, that attachment is passion. And so the spiritual platform is called Shuddha Sattva because on the material platform, goodness is never in its pure form. Material goodness always has a tinge of, I'm such a nice person or I'm really smart, or I'm wise, or whatever. So there's always some attachment, and that attachment, so there's always a little trace amount of passion, and that's why it's not spiritual. So then the last, let's see if there's more to that question. So another question on page 18, souls are given deep rest within Krishna's own nature, only to be sent forth again into this temporary world of suffering, until uh, they learn to value spiritual freedom. Please explain what you mean by deep rest within Krishna's own nature before being sent back into the karmic cycle. Well, um, it's explained in the Bhagavatam that there are, actually in the Gita, that there are cycles of creation and destruction of the universe as we know it. And in between these cycles, uh, living beings go into the body of Mahavishnu where they kind of, you know, take a break. Like, it's sort of like this super cosmic chill pill where you go into the body of Mahavishnu. And so if you say, why? I'm using the uh, popular ways of speech, just trying to communicate with people in the 21st century. So, because when we're when we're working through karma, it's like having different births and then enjoying and suffering in another birth. I mean, you can get really tired after a while. I mean, it can be really laborious because you think, I mean, just think this life. As people get a little older in this world, they think, I'm really tired. That's like your main sensation. I'm really tired. And it's just, you know, just tired of having to play a part for other people, tired of having to get up and work. It's just, and so when you've gone through this a few million times, you need a break. I mean, the soul kind of needs a break. That's why Krishna invented 
days and nights because we need to rest. In the in this in the spiritual world, of course, it's different. But in this material world, it's um, it's very trying. It's stressful. It's there's you know pressure to do this and pressure to do that, and and so after going through so many lifetimes, thank God we get a break. And uh, so that's why there are days and nights in every twenty four hour cycle. And that's why there are days and nights, as Krishna describes in the Gita, there are cosmic days and nights. And days and nights for conditioned souls because we need it. So, uh, unrelated to current reading. Well, that's not so good. Is it chapter one of Bhagavad Gita? Who knows? Okay, so uh, those things maybe. Whoever asked that question, perhaps could send that to me in a letter because I'm going to follow Prabhupada's example and sort of stick to the topic here. But uh, your question, whoever wrote that, you can write to me personally and I'll be happy to answer it. So, any question from, questions from the people who are, who are here on StreamYard or YardStream or what is it? What do they call it? Oh, StreamYard, yes. Uh, Hare Krishna Acharya Dave. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much for doing this for us today. My, My pleasure. <laughs> um, on the on the topic of guna and karma, I've heard different uh, opinions on how relevant Varnashram is for people practicing bhakti today. Yes. I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. How relevant sure. is Varnashram for those who are trying to act according to their qualities? Yes. First of all, we have to separate them because we already have ashrams. I mean, you know, devotees should either be married or not married, not half married. And so that is, I mean, obviously not everyone follows this, but really if you're serious about practicing bhakti yoga, you have to choose an ashram. It's a God-given system. Don't try to invent like, like, okay, I'm sort of like half grihasta, half Brahmachari or Brahmacharini. I mean, ultimately, if we want to make serious spiritual advancement, you got to choose one. So those are the ashrams. Then as follows, as far as the varnas are concerned, uh, as I've often said, the biggest problem to establish this varna system of brahmanas, kshatriyas, vaishas, sutras, the biggest problem uh, was the industrial revolution. Because the Varna system is based on an agricultural economy, an agrarian economy. And if you've studied these things at all, you know that societies with agrarian economies uh, are much simpler. They're much simpler than industrial economies. Industrialized economies or post-industrial or digital economies or gig economies, whatever they're doing nowadays, it's, um, it's just a big mess. And it's unnatural, which is why we've become, you know, the pharma, you know, planet pharmaceutics. It's um, it's because it's very stressful. It's unnatural. There's something very unnatural, even about the options. We're not getting truly natural options. And so um, to establish the four varnas, like brahmanas, teachers and priests, or kshatriyas, uh, warriors and governors, people that govern, Vaishas, 
you know, commerce and agriculture, and then shudras to artisans and laborers and so on. To establish those four simple divisions in this age is difficult. For example, Krishna says, I'll give you a few examples. And Krishna says in the Gita that a Vaisha uh, should do commerce, which is Vanija, in Sanskrit, Vanijam. And, uh, and then Krishi, agriculture, and uh, Goraksha, Krishi, Goraksha, Vanija. Goraksha means cow protection. So, if you want to protect cows nowadays, you get some land. The problem is that the whole economy, the whole dairy economy is pegged to cow slaughter. So in other words, if you have cows and you don't kill them because you're a civilized human being, then um, you have to feed them. They need veterinarians. You have to fence the land because you know land has been fenced for the last several centuries and we don't live in the old days where the people you know herds just graze freely over public land and so and so the prices the price of fencing the price of veterinarian services the price of feed all of that assumes that when cows stop giving a lot of milk you kill them and, and so the whole economy is, is is based on that. So obviously, if you're civilized, you don't kill cows, but you, but they remain an expense. And so, so you're competing with people who kill the cows. And so it's and so it's nice to have a few Hare Krishna farms or noble grihastas that get some land and keep some cows. That's all very good. But if we're trying to do this on a more societal scale. If we're recommending this is something that society could do, then uh, you'll go bankrupt very quickly because of the demonic economy. Or if you have a family farm, for example, and which is very nice, but let's say now there's in you know this heavy uh, capitalist farming where. They'll buy thousands of acres and get these monster tractors. And so the reason they do that, the reason they get huge parcels of land and bring in this huge equipment is because it ends up being cheaper. It's sort of like mass production of food. And it is, but it destroys the economic basis for the family farm. So even in the production of things like grains or, you know, or orchards or, or vegetables. So it's, so to swim against the stream economically to sort of establish in isolation your own economy is okay if you're self-contained. If your goal is self-sufficiency, then, and you're really clever and hardworking and you're charismatic enough to get other people to work with you, and, uh, and you're able to attract and retain useful people, then yeah, you could, I mean, I think it is possible to do something like self-sufficiency, although um, even then you're not gonna grow your own internet, for example. 
<laughs> you can't plant little tablet apple tablet seeds <laughs> or um you know let's say you want to go to town for something because that's where they sell everything th things you need even things like seeds and so on so it's to really go off the grid to really go off the grid uh you almost have to be subsidized you almost need money in the bank to go off the grid and but uh this probably what did probably want to do that did probably want us to go off the grid um he never really emphasized it. I mean, whenever Prabhupada visited our farms, I mean, he was driven there. Prabhupada never backpacked to Iskon farms. You know, he went there in automobiles. He'd fly into a region, then they'd drive him to a farm. And they would tape record his class that he gave at the farm. He, he never said, hey, we're on an Iskon farm. You know, no tape recorders. <laughs> or if his secretary was, you know, typing his correspondence never said we're on a farm, no typewriters or no car. So it's, um, so I think, I mean, there are programs in the world where um, there are attempts to sort of do a hybrid program where, you, you know, you're, you're living much more naturally, but you still have some, you make some concessions because for one thing, let's say you went off the grid and did a farm no one in the world would ever know about it because as far as I know, the uh, Pony Express service has been discontinued. And so, um, you know, how would anyone even know about it? Or let's say you didn't allow, I mean, yeah, how would anyone know about that you were even there, which would kind of defeat the purpose. So, so it's tough. I think what we can do is even if we're not totally off the grid, I think if we get land and we just have successful rural communities, that alone is a giant step in the right direction. And it would be a very good model, a very good example for, for other people. So, so I, I think, you know, you have to start with baby steps, shishupadas. You know, I think, I think we have to, so I would suggest that and, and even Prabhupada, if you look at the sequence, his administrative sequence, Prabhupada was able to inspire and organize very successful urban preaching programs, Hare Krishna temples, Sankirtan parties. And then the, the rural projects kind of grew out of that because, because of all this dynamic urban preaching, ISKCON had a lot of resources. There were a lot of devotees, there was a lot of money. And so some of those human and financial resources were channeled into um, rural projects. Anyway, I must apologize because I actually have another program with Mexico. And uh, you know, none of you want to get on the wrong side of ISKCON Mexico, I know. <laughs> And John, so, uh, thank you so much, Maharaj. <laughs> and uh, hopefully uh, we, we have an honor to 
to have another class by you and, and we can ask you some more questions. And I'll make sure if there's any questions that are most appropriate offline, we'll, we'll get that for you. We'll thank you. Thank you. It's, it's really great to see all of you. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Right. Talk about Krishna. And um, we'll see you again soon. I'm off to old Mexico. They're actually having a, a Rathiatra in Mexico City. Wow. wow. So I'm going to put on my Vedic sombrero. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.